What's up, coaches? Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for all things defensive line play. Thank you for checking us out today on episode number 84 of our show here, as we now find ourselves in November, fresh off of a Halloween weekend. Hope you're doing well. And again, thank you so much for tuning in. Well, we had a great Halloween here. I don't know about you. Uh, took the kids out trick-or-treating. Had a great time with that. Uh, I, of course, took my allotted 10% dad tax on my kids' candy. So that was good. Uh, they had a good haul. It was a beautiful weekend here after some nasty weather during the week, so it was nice to be able to get out and enjoy that some. Uh, football-wise, we picked up a big win, a big district win Friday night, which leaves us with one more regular season game before the playoffs start next week. But this, this week, it's a big one against a traditional powerhouse here in East Texas, and that game will be for the district championship. So it will be a fun week preparing for those guys. And it's, again, it's just hard to believe that the regular season is coming to an end. Now, that's not the case for the entire state of Texas. The larger classifications, 5A and 6A, are still in the middle of the regular season and actually won't start their postseasons uh, until the end of November, beginning of December, I believe. They actually started, they didn't start their regular season until uh, middle of September. Anyway. Wherever your team is at this point in the season, the good thing is, is that we are all blessed to have been able to get a season in this year. Uh, you know, as different and it, it, as weird as it has been at times, and, and as I've said before, you know, my heart goes out to you guys who didn't get to coach this season, and I'm sure it's been a difficult fall uh, for you. But if you're listening to this podcast, that probably means you're doing so to learn more football and keep your edge sharp, which is exactly what we're hoping to do for you today. Really excited to be talking today to Northwestern State defensive line coach. Liddell Love. Northwestern State, by the way, members of the Southland Conference there in Natchitoches, Louisiana. Coach Love was born in New Orleans, but moved to Dallas in middle school and attended Dallas Skyline High School before moving on to play defensive line for the Demons at Northwestern State. While at Northwestern, Coach Love was named to the All-Southland Conference and All-Louisiana teams as a sophomore and a senior. Coach Love then GA'd at Northwestern State from 2012 to 2014 and then headed to Division II University of North Carolina Pembroke where he was the D-line coach from 2015 to 2017. While at UNCP, Coach helped guide the Bravehawks to a playoff victory for the first time in school history and finished the season ranked 13th in the country. In 2018, Coach Love returned to his alma mater to coach defensive line at Northwestern State. Today, Coach Love and I talk about the Demons' fall schedule as they prepare for a six-game spring season, and then we discuss the ins and outs of Northwestern State's odd front. So, with all that being said, let's dive right into our conversation with Coach. Here is episode number 84 with Coach Liddell Love on KYPD. Coach Love, welcome to the podcast. Let's talk some ball tonight. What do you say? Yes, sir. Sounds good. Glad to be a part of this. Well, Coach, we are glad to have you. And uh, So you are currently the defensive line coach there at Northwestern State, your alma mater. But fill us in on your background a little bit and you know how you got to where you are currently uh, in your football journey coaching there at Northwestern State. Oh, yes, sir. Currently coaching at my alma mater, like you said, as a defensive line coach. Uh, well, you know, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I um, was originally born in New Orleans, so that was a, a big change in the in the culture. But you know, I had a good time growing up in Dallas. Played at at Dallas Skyline. Um, played under Q Britton my first three years, and then as a senior, Coach Samples came in, so I got to um, play for Coach Samples, who's now at Duncanville at the moment. Um, and then 
after leaving Skyline, I then went to Northwestern State in 2006, where I was a, a defense lineman as well. Um, with our, um, a, a two-year, a two-year all-conference guy, where I was um, as far as um, all-conference recognition. When did you know that you first wanted to get into coaching? Was that something you always knew you wanted to do, or was that a decision that came later on? No, uh, that was a decision that came later on. I going into it, I was a, a business major um, in accounting, and up, up until my senior year, I had um, multiple D line coaches. But my senior year, the D line coach that came in, uh, we had a pretty um, difficult defense, and we we would just sit down. He would ask me questions, and we talk about it. And one day, he was like, "You ever thought about coaching? You want to get into coaching?" And at that point, I was like, "No, I really hadn't thought about it." So once I graduated, I ended up coming back to Dallas, and I worked for a year and a half at an auto finance company. And then at that point, I realized the office setting wasn't really for me. So then I just called them up, and then we talked a little bit about that. And before you know it, I was like, I had came back to Northwestern as a GA back in 2012. So that's kind of how I got started. Is after those conversations, went back to those and realized that I didn't want to sit in the office all day. Can you, you know, looking back to that time when you're, you're working, you know, out of, you're out of coaching and, and you're working at just a, you know, a regular nine to five job, can you pinpoint what it was, you know, about the game of football or about coaching that just called you back into the profession? I had never missed a season of football from the time I was six until after I graduated from Northwestern. So every fall I had been a part of a team, I had been a part of football. So that, that 2011 season, as I was sitting around at the house watching those games on Saturday, just I, I just felt something was missing. Then you know, you go back to the office and everybody's talking about football, and you just just and just just thinking about that all the time. And I just made the decision: I'm gonna leave this job and go coach. <laughs> we'll try to go coach. So when you made that decision to jump into coaching, was there ever any second guessing that decision? Like, oh man, what did I get into? Especially. You know, when you jump in as a GA, because that's definitely not a glamorous spot to, to start out at. Uh, so were there any second thoughts there once you jump back into coaching? Oh, yeah. Uh, at the beginning, it was, you know, of course, the biggest one is financially. I had a, a good paying job. I was in Dallas enjoying enjoying life at the time, too, as well. So um, didn't go be a graduate assistant. I was back in school. Did not like school. Not going to lie about that. But, you know, you're having to go to school again, then you're having to, you know, you pretty much the, 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 the grunt of the, the staff trying to do all the dirty work, getting everything ready for practice, preparing for game day with the with all the scripts and printouts and everything like that. So it was a, a big difference, but wouldn't change it for anything now. I always like talking to, to, to graduate assistants and GAs. We actually have one on our staff, a guy who coached at TCU, and, and I love hearing his GA stories because those are always, you know, um, you know, pretty good stories and he, and he was a graduate assistant at a division two school and at, again at TCU so his are pretty wide ranging in their in their variety and in the stuff that he had to do did you do you have any of those cra- kind of crazy or unusual graduate assistant stories you know staying up to the office till all hours of the night sleeping on the couch picking up coaches kids and you know doing laundry anything like that or was it mostly football I got lucky here at Northwestern um our coaching staff they didn't re- they didn't treat us like some of the stories I've heard so um, I appreciate them for that. Um, the big, my very first, our very first game in 2012 was headed to go play Texas Tech, and a hurricane was coming here in Louisiana, and so 
I think we ended up leaving on Wednesday, so we were practicing. And we knew the hurricane was coming, and there was. Um, we, we ended up leaving on Wednesday to try to beat the the storm, so we didn't get caught in any rain. So that Tuesday we had practice, and then coach, um, we was trying to plan for that. So I ended up having to print all, everything we needed for the trip and all everything ready. It was a mad dash. I don't think I, I left the field house, I believe, at like two or three, and then ended up we had to be right back up there to leave that morning. So, so from Wednesday, Tuesday night until we got back Sunday morning at six a.m. from Lubbock, Texas. That was that was my been the longest few day stretch I've could uh, remember. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Now, did you guys fly out there to Lubbock or did you drive? Oh no, it was the bus league. We drove. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up staying actually at TCU though. Uh, well, in Fort Worth, um, that Wednesday night we we um was able to we did our walk through run well run through practice Thursday at TCU's campus. It was actually when they were building the new stadium, so we our players got to see that and do that on a little run through walk through kind of thing. Um, and then headed out to Lubbock that Friday. Playing some Division Two football, you know, I, I'm I'm all too familiar with those bus rides. You know, making those those long hour bus trips, sometimes two days. You know, on a bus, maybe just depend on where you're going, and then you turn around after the game's over and you drive the whole thing back, and it's just absolutely miserable. So, looking back on your on your career as a player and even as a coach up to this point, what are some of the highlights uh, that you think of when you think of your football career so far? As a graduate assistant, small things like. I got to learn. I, I was able to actually coach. I was actually able to run some meetings and stuff like that. So get my feet wet. Whereas you know, some graduate assistants don't get to do that. They just sit back and listen and watch. I was actually able to run the meeting. I was able to run drills at practice. So the little things like that. And then uh, our biggest win at Northwestern from my time as a player and coach was we beat Louisiana Tech in 2014. So, and no, Western Louisiana Tech was an old rivalry back in the day before Louisiana Tech went to FBS. So that was that was real nice to be able to get that win. And that was our my time as a player or coach was the first FBS win we was able to get. So from here, I would say that. And then my time at North Carolina Pembroke, like you said, um, Division Two school, we made it to the playoffs in 2016. We actually got the first playoff win in school history there. It was a, it was a young program. Football began there in 2007. They had early success making the playoffs, but um, never got over the hump as far as that win. And we were able to to, to beat Valdosta State in the first round as, as an upset. We were the underdog, and we got that win. And um, we ended up losing the second round to the runner-ups that year in Division Two, North Alabama. Yeah, familiar with both of those teams. Uh, you know, playing in the in the in the Gulf South Conference. Uh, you know, uh, back back in the day when you had you had Valdosta, you had North Alabama, you had Delta State, all of those guys in there, some really tough schools in that conference. So let's let's back up a little bit and just talk about. So you you GA'd at Northwestern State, and then you went over to uh, UNC Pembroke. So talk about that and just how that came about, and then how you came about to be back at Northwestern State. Like I said, I GA from 2012 to 2012 season, 2014 season. Those first two years, I was working specifically with the defensive line, and then in '14, I uh, I worked with the outside linebackers that season. So I was able to, you know, branch out and do something a little different. And believe it or not, I was close to I had applied for the Texas teacher certification to go back to Texas coach high school ball because I couldn't find a job in college. And the coaches convention was coming up. I said I'm gonna go to this convention, see what happens, and. Well, I make that decision from there whether I want to 
try to go to high school around in Texas or try to stay in college. And I and I'll never forget it. I got my I, I was just sending my resume out. I was talking to guys. I got that phone call the night of the national championship game. Um, while I was watching the game, so I got that phone call. Did the interview, did multiple interviews, and ended up ended up getting a Pembroke job. And um, I think I was offered the job at 11 p.m. that night. That mm-hmm. so, uh, was later on down like a week later. Offered at 11 p.m. and then I was on the road to, from Louisiana to North Carolina at 6 p.m. 6 a.m. the next morning. So <laughs> quick turnaround. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, and then. And then I spent that 2015, 16, and 17 season at Pembroke. Um, so I got to, you know, experience. That was, was a great experience because I, I had only ever been at Northwestern, of course. And so I got to go on the other side of the country, went to North Carolina, Division Two football, which is, you know, some guys don't realize it's, it's great football. And, you know, I got to experience that that level of play. And it was really successful. I was able to coach a guy that, in 2015, he broke the the single season sack record, and then a guy had that from that. He was a freshman in 15, and 2018, his junior year, he had ended up breaking the career sack record. So it was um, good to see those guys flourish from from that standpoint, as well as being successful as a team as well. And then after that, Coach Laird, who was the head coach here at Northwestern, was my defensive coordinator a, a couple of years while I was a player. He ended up getting a head job here. And, and, and um, reached out to him, got that call, got was able to come back to Northwestern and, and try to try to try to get this thing back on track. You know, a really interesting career up to this point. You know, uh, uh, you know, being able to coach at your alma mater, I'm sure, is a special thing. Talk about you know this this year. I mean, and and I, it's it's almost cliche to talk about how difficult this year has been for for so many people and all the challenges that we've endured. But I'm curious because we're about to get into this here in a second, but you guys have, have had a really unique fall there at Northwestern State, as a lot of schools have, uh, you know, tr- gonna, you know planning, with planning to play a spring season. Uh, so looking back on this year, 2020, you know, what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned uh, as a coach or as a person uh, about the, you know, just overcoming adversity and all the things that, that we've all had to deal with and you and your program specifically over the past year? Me personally, it's the old cliche: don't take anything for granted. Like I said, it's just everyone just expects football to be there, you know. Especially being here in the South and Louisiana, Texas, you just expect that football to be there. And we were we were at eight practices in in the spring, and then boom, everybody got sent home. And at that point, it was, oh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll finish spring ball once we get back after in April, and you know that stuff. And then next thing you know. We're sitting there as May, and we're still sitting there as June. And so it, it, the biggest thing was this uncertainty, un, the unknown of when we'll be able to see our guys again, when we'll be able to start practicing, start meeting, and little things like that. So um, just it's cliche, but just not taking anything for granted. And you know, you preach to you guys all the time to you know play that play play that play like it's their last, because you never know what's going to get taken from you. And you know, so we talk about that all the time now with, with these guys. So. A lot of these guys hadn't able to be able to tackle since March. We just actually had our first scrimmage this past Sunday, and that was the first time they were able to tackle in March. And, you know, just make sure those guys realize what a blessing it is to finally be back on the field right now at this time. Yeah, so for those of us who don't know, just describe what this fall has been like for you guys. You know, what 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 kind, you know, what, are you, what you've been doing and, and been able to do as a football team and then what things are going to look like in the spring. So it started um, in our fall actually started in 
in the um, July. We got our guys here. We had probably of the 115 guys we have on the roster, we had about 90 to 95 here consistently in, in June. And at that point, we were playing. We were preparing to play like it was a normal summer, normal fall. You know, there's going to be some adjustments. But at that point, seasons had been canceled. So we were, you know, doing our meetings, guys working out. We was, they were doing extra work, preparing. And then the season got canceled. So, and it got canceled. We had actually reported for fall camp. We did all the pre-camp meetings, pre-camp paperwork, and then it got canceled. And then we were able to actually do what we call OT, you know, the OTAs like the NFL. So we was able to get some meeting time, some practice, some practice time. So we did, we did that for a few weeks. Then once school started, we just kind of stayed in that realm. And then the biggest thing was just the testing, the, the financial cost of testing. Um, and then we had an outbreak where guys, we had a few guys test positive. And we had, at one point we would, we had about 45 to 50 guys that were in quarantine. Oh, wow. Not that many positive, but just in quarantine. So at that point, the numbers are, you know, real, real, real high. So we ended up getting sent home for a week or two. Then we got sent home for two weeks where, so boom, the guy's not able to work out. We're not able to see them. We're not able to meet. They're not able to um, even come up to the field house if they can't come in the weight room. So it's been tough from that standpoint. We had guys lifting weights on under the stadium. You know, the strength coach did a good job. He took all the weights out the weight room, put it under the stadium. I mean, I've seen some high schools do it too. So just, uh, just trying to make it work the best you can um, from that standpoint. And now we actually back. We're in fall ball now, which we're treating like spring football. Just had just got done with practice six, had our first scrimmage this past Sunday, and just trying to knock the rust off from guys not being, being able to go out there and do it um, since March. And I would say one thing I hadn't thought about was this is probably the longest stretch we've had without any interruptions. We've from June to probably mid September. Uh, I, I can't. I don't even think we went two weeks straight where we didn't have any interruptions where guys can work out and and meet for two weeks straight. We always had something come up COVID related. So looking ahead to the spring season. Uh, when is that going to start, and what 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 is that going to look like? You know, how many games are you guys going to get? What what's that going to look like? At the moment, we're scheduled for six games, um, and the first game starting um, February twentieth. We have the option to be able to pick up two more games, and so I mean, I'm I'm not in those meetings, so I'm not sure how that's going as far as the extra games. Um, but we're set to start. I guess you want to call it spring camp, uh, January thirteen, I believe. To get to start getting ready for that that spring season, so our guys will start the fall semester February uh, January 11th, then we'll start actual practices in a couple of days after that to try to get ready for that spring season. And it's, it's like I said, it's the unknown. All we know is those dates to try to start practicing, and we just at the moment preparing like that's what we're going to do until they tell us otherwise. So how, how how does that how will that affect you know things like your recruiting schedule signing day all that stuff? Have you guys talked about that and worked that out? We talked about it. We try to come up with different scenarios. Right now, as you um, you guys know, for, for us, everything is dead except for like phone calls and texts. So we can't actually go out to see the kids, and that opens up January first. So like I said, we start camp and um mid mid January, and our students not on back on campus until the 11th, so the NCAA actually hasn't come out and say you can have 
some guys on campus didn't know you could get out to this high school. Then it is that that's just the the date that they've told us right now that it should open back up, being able to actually go recruit those guys and see them in person. Because a lot of the guys that we're talking to right now, we haven't seen in person. But you know, I've been able to go see them practice, go see them play. Um, and I'll have them even come to our campus so they can see what we have to offer. And we, we talked about as a staff, the biggest obstacle right now for us, you know, being the FCS with the resources, is how we're going to do. We're going to be in the middle of our camp and then trying to have guys on campus and do visits and go see guys for home visits and still trying to practice and prepare for our season as well to try to be successful. And signing day, you know, it's always that first Wednesday in February. We'll be in the middle of camp at that point. So it's all all up in the area, what they're going to allow us to do, what we'll be able to do from that standpoint. Yeah, that is just... From a, from a numbers-wise, you know, the NCAA has essentially granted everybody on the on the team a red shirt this year. You know, whether they play or not, everybody has an op- has the option to come back. So a guy that played that may have red shirt last year, he ended up he ended up getting a six year um, of eligibility, and they can play as many snaps as they want this year. We we want them to, and it doesn't count no matter what as far as eligibility purposes. So that that affects our scholarship numbers being able to stay under the 63 and then uh, under the counters as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a, going to be a really interesting thing to watch uh, as, as, as you're right, you know, that, that all everyone's granted, you know, uh, uh, the opportunity to red shirts. So that's going to be something that, that it's, it's just going to be interesting to see how, how, how schools handle that and how that affects uh, just recruiting, not even th- this year, but just in, in the upcoming years. Uh, and, and that's going to be a, a, you know, a, a, a really busy spring. I mean, that's that's an under super. Uh, that's a really big understatement there. But really busy spring for you guys, and I, I just can't imagine trying to balance all those things. But you know, uh, I, I think if anything that that this year has taught us, it's taught us how to adapt and how to adjust on the fly. So I know you guys will have a plan for that and be ready to go for that. Let's talk about some D line play now. Uh, when when guys or when people turn on the tape and they watch your D line on tape, what qualities or characteristics? What do you hope that they see out of your guys? The first thing I, I preach is playing with effort, playing with effort, um, physicality, and, and just being doing your job, taking care of your house. The, the term I use to take care of your house, uh, that goes like gap responsibility, essentially. You know, um, the, the effort, like a weak, weak coach effort, a great effort, like we just had the scrimmage. We, we give our guys a swarm grade, and if they don't meet that swarm grade, they, they run after practice the next day. So, you know, we're constantly harping on our guys to run to the ball because, you know, I, my belief is on defense, you may bust, you may end up in the wrong gap, you may, you know, mess that play up, you may bust on that play. But if you run to the ball, you can make up for a lot of things. So we, we, we really harp on effort. So, I just, you know, that's the biggest thing I, I preach. And also just playing physical up front. You have to be physical. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um and then to do your job, take care of your house first. If everybody do their job, then we'll we'll be all right. We'll make plays as a defense. We'll we'll stop guys. We'll hold them to our, our goal and, and points. So when you're talking about those things, you know, taking care of your own house, doing your your job, and 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 making sure that you take care of your gap, and then also being physical. How how do you go about instilling those qualities that you mentioned within your players? You know, like what. What drills do you do or, or discussions do you have with your guys to make sure that you're getting what you want out of them? Well, 
Well, like with, with effort, like I said, we grade effort. We we harp on it daily. So just, I mean, I get out there and run behind the guys. I we you know hold them accountable if they're not forming to the ball. You know, we, we so once we grade that, they they run out the practice. So I mean, guys don't want to run after practice. They don't want to do that kind of punishment. So we get them to run the ball that way. Um, as, as far as being physical, every drill, you know, we, we practice whether it's individual drills, we're practicing full speed. We're, if we're doing combo blocks, the, the guys that's giving a look, you're getting off, you're trying to block them, trying to knock them off the ball. And as a defensive guy, you're trying to win your block, you're trying to win your gap. And then uh, we want to dominate the O-line, especially our O-line when we go and practice. So we, and inside, we, 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 we talk about our goal of, in the run game is, is three yards or less. So we, we want to dominate, we want to get penetration, and that's what, that's what we focus on on a, on a daily basis. And as far as um, gap responsibility, just, you know, harping on, like I said, do your job, just not letting the little things slide. We set the standard as, you know, the, the standard is a standard. Whatever we set, that's what we, we, we don't waver from that. So the, all the little things that, that people may think is not important, we don't let any of those slide. We don't want anything little become anything major. Absolutely. And I love the idea of grading effort. You know, we do the same thing here. Our kids every week when we grade their, their game film, they get two grades. They get an effort grade and they get an ASCA grade, which, you know, alignment, stance, key assignment. So did they do their mm-hmm. job? You know, that, that's that's one half of it. And then the other half is what was your effort like? And, and, and so I really like that it separates those two things out because, you know, a kid could do his job technically correct. But if he didn't get, give great effort, he didn't pursue the football. He needs to know that and there needs to be a way you to hold him hold them accountable kind of like what you talked about and so i think doing that is, is a really uh a, a great thing to do especially uh if, if you're if you're wanting to hold those kids accountable and you want to you know have some teeth in that in that in that that standard that you have of, of giving great effort and running to the football yes sir yes sir we, we do the same we get like you said we, we um given us a assignment grade giving an effort grade and then we also it's not a grade but we i do production so yeah, to try yeah. to separate those guys so that not only are you doing your job, but you get production. As a D-lineman, we have a production where it's not only just the normal stats, that the tackles, the sacks, DFLs. I do effort. I do extra effort. I do getting to the ball. To, you know, the quote I like I heard is you're, you're going to be judged by how close you are to the football at the end of each play. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So talk about some of your favorite drills that you like to do throughout the, throughout, you know, practice and in your individual time, uh, maybe some that you've been doing this fall that, that really help, uh, you know, emphasize those skills that you want your guys to, to, to be good at. From a, you know, I, I work hand placement every day, you know, without, without your hands in the right game, you're not going to be successful. So every day, whether it's on a sled or on a man, we're doing some form of hand placement drill. And just harping on them being violent in their strike. You know, some guys, sometimes guys may not be on it that day, but just staying on it and making sure that, you know, when we work in things, they're, they're being intentional in their work. We want to make sure we focus on playing with, playing with violence in, in everything we do. So always working hands and footwork, making sure guys are at the, at the beginning of each play, you got you to set yourself up for success. So if, if you're not shooting your hands, you're not getting off the ball, you're not taking the proper steps. You're not setting yourself up for success for that particular play. And now you're putting yourself behind the eight ball. So focus on all those little things each and every day. And then from a drill standpoint, I kind of have a plan where I want to hit each. I want to hit different things every every day 
that'll help them transition to being better players on the football field is making sure the drills translate from drill work to actual in-game situations. I, you know, I don't want to just do things just to do them. So I, I kind of I look at the film, see what we're struggling with, and see we need to go back and do that. We need to focus on that. Or uh, and then especially game week, if I'm if we're if I know we're going to get certain blocks in the run game, that's what I'm going to focus on this week. I'm going to make sure those guys see it, see what the offense is trying to do to them, and make sure they're able to defeat that um, from a, in a run game standpoint. And and then the pass game, we also want to work our hands as far as our hand block each and every day to make sure guys are working their hands, getting the offensive alignment's hands off of them. Focus on the biggest thing I try to focus on is working edges in the pass game, not trying to, you know, bull guys every play, every play you want to work edges, make those guys move their feet, make them come block you. Don't be a magnet in the pass game. So working drills through where they have to, look, I call one drill in particular edge drill where they got to work from one side to the next. And, and while gaining ground and whatever hand that old lineman gives, that's the hand they have to beat down, get to that edge. So little things like that to try to focus on game-like situations and what we want to do. I love what you said about, you know, watching film to see what your guys need to work on and then kind of building drills off that. And I think that's such an important thing to do because, you know, we all have our favorite drills that we like to do that, you know, maybe it's it's some sort of get-off drill or hand drill or, or um, you know, so, something, you know, working the sleds or explosion, things like that, that you should do all the time. But I think it's really important to evaluate our kids and evaluate our film and see our, what is it that they're struggling with and how can I build a drill to, to help, you know, improve what, what we are deficient in specifically, or maybe to help, you know, help us prepare for us what we're going to see specifically this week. Because, because I think sometimes we can get caught up in a rut of just doing the same drills over and over and over because they're the, the same drills we've always done. But I think if we really want to see our kids improve and put them in the best position to be successful, that we have to take that extra step and kind of customize our drills towards and tailor them towards what those particular kids need and what they're going to need for that week to be successful. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You gotta, you gotta, you have to adapt to what your kids are, what they can do. Yeah. So let's 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 talk about this now. Um, let, let's let's pretend that that I'm an incoming freshman. Okay, coming into your program. And and you're gonna basically walk me through your defensive front. You guys are a three down front. You play, uh, you know, play two four eyes, and and I believe a head up nose or a shade. A head up nose. Okay, head up nose. And so I'm a young I'm a young D lineman coming in. We're, we're sitting in your office, uh, and you're gonna you're we're getting up on the board, and, and you're gonna basically just install your front and just talk about you know a, kind of an aerial view of what your front is and what you know each player's responsibility is. So let's go ahead and do that now. Uh, and let you ha- have you coach me up on your defensive front. First of all, like, like you said, we are three down. Uh, and our base package would be us lining up in the two four eyes and a zero. Now, uh, our, as far as our, our three down guys, our end is always aligned to the field. Our tackle is always aligned to the boundary, and the nose, of course, is um, head up on the on the football. So, is our horizontal? I, I talk about two alignments. So you have your horizontal alignment and your your vertical alignment. So. Um, our horizontal alignment, you know, it was, we're in that four eye. We, we want to I, I focus on big toe to big toe, meaning how how wide they are on in that gap. So I want his if I'm in a left hand stance, I want my left big toe on his left big toe. That way I know I'm on his outside shoulder tip and I'm in my gap. And then as far as the nose, he's nose to nose, eye to eye on that center. And 
And when we talk in the in and tackle are both in that same alignment, big toe to big toe. And our key, pre-snap key, would be the shoulder tip of the offense alignment that they're aligned to. So whatever gap you're aligned in, that's the gap you're responsible for. And we want to make sure we focus on guys getting aligned correctly to, to begin with and, and, and focus it on that key to make sure that's the guy that they're attacking. We, we want to defeat the block, release the block, then, find, then get to the football. We don't want to get out, have our eyes in the backfield. We don't want to have our eyes to the, on the ground. We want to make sure we focus on those blocks. That way they can keep those blocks. Um, so, like I said, we, going back to the, the defense, you, you'll be aligned in the – if you're that end for us, you'll be aligned in the four-eye, and you'll be responsible for the B-gap in the run game. And then in the, in the pass game, we, we work what we call best rush. Best rush meaning you, you, you don't have to rush through that B-gap. Our goal is to get vertical, get vertical push off the ball. We want to rush through that B-gap. If that tackle closes it down, you have the free reign to pop yourself outside to the C-gap to get to the quarterback. And if you get a slide protection and that guard slides really hard to you, you can count a club across that guard face to get to the quarterback. So we give our guys free reign because it's hard to rush the quarterback from a four-eye. So we, we don't want to pigeonhole them into saying you have to do this because it's hard to get pressure from that. So we want to make sure they're playing fast. with Whatever it is they, that comes to them at that particular time from their, their read as they're rushing the quarterback, we want to give them guys that free reign to be able to get to the quarterback. Let me ask you a question right there and, and uh, ask you about, you know, I, I, I agree. We play our guys, um, you know, in our three down front, we play them in head up fours. And that's a really tough spot for them to pass rush from just being head up. And we kind of do the same thing. Technically, they're responsible for, you know, rushing the B gap. But really, we can, we can you know, within the freedom of, our, of our, the structure of our defense, we can give them uh, the ability to, to rush both C and B. I'm just curious because we sometimes can run into this as well. How do you make sure that your pass rush is balanced when those guys could be rushing anywhere from A gap to, to, to C gap? You know, how do you keep you know, from, from giving that quarterback some, some lanes where he can step up and throw into? We, um, what we do, out, so the ends have, the end and tackle have their responsibility. The nose is what we call A to A. And sometimes, sometimes it turns, in, turns into what we call a natural game where if that guy's rushing, you see that guy work wrap around it. And the way our linebackers are playing, and uh, we have one linebacker that's responsible for that quarterback stepping up. Okay, yeah, I, I think that's a great way to you know to talk, have your nose say, hey, you know, you you kind of be ready because these guys, you know, they have the ability to 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 rush, you know, really A, B, or C, and let that nose wrap around where he's needed and add himself there. I think that's a great way of doing it. Okay, so talk specifically about how you're coaching up those four eyes. And, you know, what are some uh, you know, talk about hand placement and, and where their eyes are and all those things. Okay, uh, as, as far as hand placement and eyes, oh, first of all, our eyes are like I said on the on the, on the inside shoulder tip. So if I'm playing the, the four eye. I'm looking on that inside shoulder tip of that tackle. And hand placement would be my left hand to his sternum, my right hand to his, his, his um, shoulder tip. And I and I call that twelve hand placement. The one being on the sternum, the two being on the shoulder tip. And that's that's the hand placement you want. Anytime we're on the inside or outside shade, that's the hand placement, 12 hand placement. If we're, the, if I'm the nose, I'm in that zero, I call it 11, both hands are in that chest plate, and I'm playing, playing that guy that way. So for, for that end, you're responsible for, like I said, the B gap. So any type of cutoff block, any type of scoop block, you got to make sure we fight to stay in that B gap as far as hand placement. And then as soon as I get, if I get a cutoff block where he's trying to overtake my B gap, what I'm going to, I want to make sure I get the proper hand placement with my B gap 
and the ball is inside of me, so my eyes need to transition inside. Once I get to that block, my eyes need to transition inside to find the football because the blocker will take me to the ball. If he's trying to cut me off, I know now in my mind that the ball is working to my, if I'm in the left-hand stand, it's working to my right. So now I know that uh, I need to get my eyes inside and I want to release that block and rip and run to get flat down the line to not get cut off. And when we play our nose is we call it, a, I call it attack and lag. So essentially if that offense, that center, if he zone blocks me one way or the other, I'm going to attack him, try to get vertical penetration, knocking him back and lag to the backside. So we tell that we try to make it as easy as possible for that zero where he's not trying to, we don't want our guys to ever read. We want to react and attack. So as I get off the ball and I'm going to attack that guy and I'm going to lag to his backside. So, I, you know, and then we'll work off of that, and that guy will get flat down the line from that situation. If he gets based up, we'll, we'll press it, and we'll, we'll lag ourselves to the running back gap. Do you ever give your guys your noses? And, and this is a question I'm, I really don't know because this is not a technique we play a whole lot, but do, they, do you ever kind of give them you know, hints or clues? Like do they look in the backfield you know, pre-snap to kind of decide you know, you know, if, the, if the back's – uh, to their left, okay, they're going to be kind of lagging towards the back. Does that does that come into the equation, or are you coaching up him up that way, or is it basically just come off an attack and then and then react after you after you've uh, after you feel which way he's blocking you? Yeah, our, our pre-snap process is big. We all we want to look at the running back, of course. Which side which side of the of the formation is he on? Because that's that's going to help you out in knowing what type of blocks you're going to get. Because if you're playing a team that's they don't they don't run a lot of same side run run plays. Right. You know you you're probably gonna get that zone to you. So you know what to, what block to expect. You know what what block you, you're probably gonna lag to the back essentially if I'm the nose. So we're looking at, at his his position formationally. Then we also looking at his width from the quarterback. Is he tight or is he wide? Most of the time when we see running backs that are tight to the quarterback is more is inside zone where he's looking for that cutback especially if he keeps square shoulders he can he's, he's front he's trying to hit it front side but he has the ability to cut it back back side and we, we watch that on film so those guys can know that um and then if he's wide he's trying to get that angle maybe to get on a, on the outside path um so we look at the width and then we also look at the depth of the running back is he is he tight and deeper so looking at that inside zone is he a little bit more if he's is he underneath the quarterback to get that easier path on his on the sweep on um, read essentially so we try to make sure those guys can try to see that stuff post post um, pre-snap and then in the pass game they look at the runner's back position okay he's outside the he's outside the tackle he's in front of the quarterback so we you know we look at those things try to help out in, in the pass game to recognize it's time to engage our motor and get into a pass rush now Let's talk about pass rush from that for that nose guard. How are you coaching pass rush up for your nose guard? The main thing I'm trying to tell him, he, like I said, he has a we call it a to a rush. So he he wants your first step is always getting vertical. Every pass rush works up speed, no matter what you're going to go with. So you got to get off the ball first. And he has the ability to work a to a. So he's working off that center. And a lot of times when we get because we, when we got the three guys rushing, he's getting double teamed. So we call it a Call it tight bags with the big pop ups when you put them real tight. Trying to, you know, work an edge, get skinny, beat one blocker, then flip and defeat the second blocker. And his his main job is just trying to get pushed up in front of the quarterback where he can't step straight up into the into the throw. 
show. We just we're trying to get him off his spot. And one thing we talk about is being able to rush the quarterback, but you have to rush your blocker and see through your blocker to the quarterback. So as I'm rushing, I'm rushing my blocker, but I see the quarterback as he moves off his spot. We have to move with him while still gaining ground and stay in front of that guy. Uh, let, let's talk about your conference, the South End Conference. You know, look at when you when you look at the guys, the opponents in, in in your conference. What's one run scheme, you know, in particular that you guys see a lot of that you have to have a plan for each week? Last year, the biggest thing, being that we are in that that the two fours and a zero, is not a lot of running room on the inside. So we had a lot of teams, you know, trying to stretch us out, getting up, trying to run, hit the outside zone. So just biggest thing with that is just making sure the guys understand, like I said, the, the, the shoulders of the running back. As soon as those shoulders open up and they're horizontal line of scrimmage, we want to make sure we press those blocks and getting flat and ripping and running because they're trying to stretch that, that outside zone. And a lot of guys were looking for that cutback versus us. So we, we get we get that front side guy to get it cut off, but then that guy cuts it back so that nose and that backside D lineman has to be flowing down the line of scrimmage. So we saw that a lot being that we were in two fours and a zero. Being, so it's, it's so it's so tight in there. Guys try to hit us with the outside zone. That was probably about one of our biggest um, run plays that we saw last year. And then, you know, of course, power. Um, and then guys would it, it eventually went to two tight ends where they had the tight end wing set mm-hmm. and trying to hit that, C, hit that C and D gap. So when we get that, we got to adjust our front where we're trying to get the we try to get that extra head over there, so we'll slide the front over. Going back and talking about your nose, you know, playing that outside zone. So he's lagging behind that outside zone. And I know for us, one of our biggest things is, you know, our nose can't get cut off on stretch or outside zone. Otherwise, it's it's bad news when they, you know, when they when they get ready to cut it back. So how do you how do you prepare for that or, or defend that when they want to cut it back into that a gap that? That that play side a gap. I know you probably have a linebacker there that's flowing uh, behind that, or I'm sorry, in front of the nose guard there to help that. But what's that nose guard doing specifically? Like like you said, he has he has to make sure that he doesn't get cut off by that backside guard. And when we lag, we don't want to get vertical through the gap. We talk about getting penetration, yeah. But I don't want to get any separation between the, my defense alignment and their center. So if I get any separation where I get vertical, that running back stick is foot in the ground and get vertical, that's now we're two steps behind and a lot more more than likely we're not gonna make that tackle from an athletic standpoint. So as I lag that back side, I I, I wanna scrape I wanna rip and run off that guy's butt. If he's gonna leave me, you know, to rely on the guard to block me, I wanna get through there, get flat down the line of scrimmage, and I wanna chase the near hip of the offense of the running back. So if that running back is Continue to run the sideline. I want to stay on his near hip. So when he goes to cut back, we work near hip tackle. Where now I'm there and I'm flat. Where that guy has to, he has to continue front side and and for say he cuts all the way back. That that backside D D lineman also has to be flowing down the line of scrimmage. Sometimes it, that nose could be doing his job and the running back cut it back behind him because the guard is on his back. That that next D lineman has to be flowing as well. And it's the same thing. Don't don't run up the field to where the running back is. He's at now. You, know, you want to you want to flow flat to his near hip, where he's where he's on the um, the path he's taking. Absolutely, that's such an important coaching point. To you, know, you get these guys who want to be super aggressive and they think they're athletic enough to go tackle that running back in space in the backfield, and then all they end up doing is creating a vertical run lane. And 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 you're right, those guys. You know, it's it's so it's it's so important for them to be able to play flat down the line and track that inside hip to keep that 
get that ball care, you know, going, keep him going east and west and not be able to cut that thing north and south. So when you're looking back, back on, on this past season, which has to seem like an eternity now, uh, and evaluating your, your position group specifically, what was one thing you felt like your D-line was really good at in the 2019 season? One thing I look back at when I, we, we, we did our self-evaluation was um, I, I, I really thought our, our guys, my guys played extremely hard and extremely physical. And we're not the biggest group of D linemen. So, and those guys fought and they played hard and they got to the ball. I think we made a lot of, we made a lot of effort plays down the line, like we just talked about, effort plays down the field. So just getting those guys to run, being that we pride ourselves on running to the ball, you know, being that those guys did that, that was, that was um, big for me. Well, coach, uh, a lot of great stuff today, and I know that you guys are just in a super unique situation. A lot of stuff going on right now, you know, getting your, your fall practices in and preparing for a spring season. So I really appreciate you coming on talking with us today. But we're not done. We're going to close out our conversation today doing some rapid-fire questions where I'm going to throw you, and they're not really even questions. I don't know why I call it that. But rapid-fire segment where I throw out a couple sets of words and you tell me your preference. What do you think? You ready to handle that? Oh, yes, sir. Ready for it. All right. Well, let's go. Okay, so here's the first one for you, your preference, day game or night game? Day game. Now, that, I think that's, a, that's, that's an unusual answer. Most guys are going to say night game. What is it about a day game that kind of gets your juice going? I like to get up and get going. I, I don't like uh, sitting around and waiting too much thinking. Yeah, that's I a like, good point. I like guys get up and go play. That's a good point. So you're a fan of, you know, the 11 o'clock kickoff, you know, like, like the, the Fox Big Noon, you know, if it's 11 o'clock Eastern. You know, wake up, have breakfast, and let's go play some football. That's 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 right up your alley, huh? Oh yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Okay. So for you on game day, uh, sideline or press box? Sideline. Okay. Now tell it. Tell us why you like the sideline. All right. My first year as a GA, I was in the press box. It felt like I was watching it, watching TV. So, and as a D line coach, I got to look those guys in the eyes. I have to make sure. I got, I got to be able to tell what they're thinking. I got to talk to them, seeing what they're getting, little things like that. I just think as a D-line coach, you have to be there to, to, to get the full effect because it's a different position. So you got to make sure, you know, those guys are locked in and there's, there's no um, no gray area in what we're trying to do. Totally agree. You know, hey, hey, slot receivers coach, stick those guys up in the box. Maybe our DBs coach, let that dude get up in the box. But the D-line coach and the O-line coach, like, well, they got to be on the sideline, right? I mean, that's just you got it. Like you said, you got to be able to look your dudes in the eye and get them over there on the bench and 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 be able to just kind of feed off their energy and they feed off your energy. So I totally agree with that. Okay, so for game day, uh, your game day routine, which again you haven't been in a while. Hopefully, one day you'll get there soon <laughs> and be able to experience that again. We're holding out hope. But are you superstitious about game day or no? Uh, yes and no. Okay. Well, to, give us an example of how you might be a little bit superstitious. I I, I try to make sure I, if I wear something the, the previous game we win, I'm probably going to wear the same thing and do the same thing I did. I got Even you. though I, I, I'm not a superstitious person at heart. But if, if it works, I'll probably try to mimic it. Yeah, and I've said this before, and I, I love this quote. It's kind of like what Michael Scott said from The Office. I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. So that sounds like yeah. that, that would describe you. Okay, uh, so for game day, music for you or no music? I'm a music guy. Okay. All right, well, what's on the Coach Love game day playlist? Well, I grew up in the, 
from New Orleans, so I listen to a, whole, a lot of Cash Money, No Limit stuff, a lot of a lot of stuff to get me going. Okay, all right, all right. Uh, any, do you get into the new stuff much, or do you, or do you just you just stick with the old school stuff? Mostly old school. <laughs> now, now, is that something? Do you because I, I agree, and and I'm the one that's in charge of music at practice, and and it, I don't know why it just always seems to fall on me. I guess because I'm the only one with clean playlists, but. I usually stick. I don't care about what the kids say. Like I stick to kind of the older stuff and try to get them to get into it. Most of the time, they they take to it pretty well. But do your guys get into the old stuff, or, or are they not trying to hear any of that? Um, our guys they do a good job. The guy that does our music, he gives a good mixture of older stuff and some newer, some new stuff. I just some of the new stuff is is just too. Some of it's too slow. It doesn't get me going. I got so you. I can't. Some of it I can't get into. Okay, being from New Orleans and, and spending a lot of your life in Louisiana, uh, you know, there's really two food groups in, in Louisiana, okay? You got, you got your fried foods and you got your blackened foods. So if, if you were going to have something fried or blackened, which one are you picking? Fried. Fried, okay, all right. Yeah. And, then, and then, so if, 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 um, if, if, let's just say favorite Louisiana food, what would you go with? Red beans and rice with fried chicken and cornbread. Ooh, okay. Now, is there a good spot in, in Natchitoches to get that right there? Yeah, we have a couple spots um, in, in Natchitoches that does it, but I I, I, cook, I usually cook it myself. Okay, okay. All right, I see you. All right, now let's talk about this because you did play your high school football in Dallas. Uh, Dallas and Houston over here in Texas have really kind of developed a big rivalry over the years about who has the better high school football. So I'm going to let you, and I've asked this question before, so I'm not, I'm not just putting you on the spot in particular here, uh, but w- what do you say? If you had to pick, and I know you probably recruit both of these areas, you maybe don't want to get in trouble with some recruits, but who has the better high school football, Dallas or Houston? I'm going to say top to bottom, Dallas. You know, I, uh, I, I, I really have to agree. Uh, although the, you know, North Shore uh, has, has beaten Duncanville the last two seasons, and, and they're, you know, North Shore is the biggest classification, and so they're kind of the kings. Uh, you have Katie over there. A lot of great schools in Houston, but I just think that man, the Metroplex is just there. There's there, there's good schools really, everywhere. Just just really really some strong really programs. Good, some really good programs right yeah. now at the Metroplex. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Now I am biased uh, to East Texas because that's where I'm from, and I think my opinion, you know, smaller school ball, East Texas is where it's at. But we won't get on all of that. I, I, that's not the question <laughs> I asked. So okay, we're now in November, which is hard to believe. We're in November. And which means it's never too early to talk about Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving food. So here's the here's the question I have for you. I'm not giving you a choice. Here's the question. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you, you know, uh, if, if there are two foods that better be on the Thanksgiving table when you show up for, for Thanksgiving lunch, what, what two things have to be there? Maybe the other things you can negotiate, but two things you have to have on the Thanksgiving table, go. All right. I'm a, I'm a deep fried turkey guy, so I do that. So I'm going to have deep fried turkey. So that has to be there. The second thing that has to be there, I would probably say, I was I'm probably going to say macaroni and cheese. Okay, all right. That's the easy answer. Yeah, no, that that's too the, much. Too many. <laughs> those are two solid choices. I think if you can guarantee that those are going to be on the table, then 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 it's probably going to be a pretty good Thanksgiving lunch. Well. Coach, great stuff today. Uh, Really appreciate you. Again, I know it's a really busy time for you guys. A lot of stuff going on. I appreciate you stopping by and talking some D-line play with us. I just want to wish you guys the best of luck. We'll be watching. I think that is a a cool thing about you guys playing in the spring is that you won't have a whole lot to compete with, and and that'll be fun to be able to to watch you guys and keep up with you in the spring. So good luck, 
and here's to hoping that you guys get a full season in in the spring. Yes, sir. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Thanks once again to Coach Love for joining us today. Give Coach Love a follow on Twitter at CoachLove underscore DL and let him know you heard him here on KYPD. You can also find Coach's email address in the show notes of today's episode. Our quote of the day goes like this. The most important player on the defensive side of the ball is the closest player to the football. There you go. I think all of us D-line guys would definitely agree with that. And that will do it for this episode of KYPD. If you're liking our podcast here, shout it from the mountaintops, baby. Actually, you don't need to do that. What you can do, though, is give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. It takes less amount of time than it does for your nose guard to run a 40 and it does a lot in helping boost our podcast ratings, so make sure you do that for us. Also, subscribe now so you never miss an episode, and join us back next week for episode 85, where we are going back to Cali to talk to a head coach from out there with a lot of juice, and I know you'll enjoy that one, so be sure to check us out next week as well. Until then, stay positive, seek to be the best version of yourself this week, and finally, you already know. Keep your fans down, baby.